לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anjay Chesed, New York City, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Shekhtar Day School of Long Island. It's great to see you. Special week. We are recording this on the eve of Yom Atzmuh. We'll talk about that in a moment or two. But we have this amazing parsha, Kedoshim. Kedoshim is the central parsha. I'm going to put out a proposition. I'll ask you to argue with me. Center parsha of the central book with the central ideas. Discuss. <laughs> totally correct. Totally correct. I think this is this is huge important parsha. Kedoshim tihiyu ki kadosh ani. You are you have in you the capacity to make your life uh, resemble the divine, and and you know this is I would I would just say that this is that claim. This is like the the full articulation in behavior. Of the idea of Tzalem Elohim from the beginning of Breshit, the beginning of the Torah says, "You are in some ways in the you know you resemble God. You are in the image of God." This parsha says, "So so behave like it and create your community." Yisrael. Uh, Moses is called to speak to the entire Israelite community, and there are behaviors and ways of orienting your your mental life, your emotional life, your spiritual life, and your social life. That instantiates all of that goodness in 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 you know you can you really can be holy in the way not not as God is holy but in in the human in the human analog. I, I, I want to. Do we have a uh, a difficult time in translating the word kadosh kedusha, and do we do we really understand what the word holy means? And, so and, go ahead, Barry. Of course, we have. A, difficulty translating it because the word in English also doesn't make a great deal of sense to us. Um, so when we translate Kadosh as holy, it's sort of like translating to fill in as phylacteries. If you don't know what phylacteries are, it doesn't really help you understand to fill it. And the only person who understands phylacteries knows what to fill in is. So <laughs> that, that, that's a problem. But I want to emphasize what, what Jeremy said, that this really gives us, this partially gives us insight into what the Torah really is, because one of the things that Ibn Ezra mentions, and Borach Levine picks up on it in his JPS commentary, is how the Ten Commandments are embedded in this text in Vayikra. And we identify as followers of modern biblical criticism, the P text, the priestly text with Sefer Vayikra, and perhaps E with um the Ten Commandments in Shemot. And what I'd like to suggest is that this quest, we were talking before about aspirational holiness, is that the holiness that we see in chapter 19 comes in both poetry and prose. And a lot of times when we think of 
high high-minded things we identify it with poetry but by yukrat comes to remind us that there's a great deal of prose that there are commandments here about how we treat the less fortunate among us how we're supposed to make our sacrifices how we treat our neighbors um, in chapter 20 how we conduct our sex lives these are all things that are incredibly important to being human and the way the Torah structures it is to remind us that to be truly human, we have to be more divine. You know, it's very interesting you say that because I, I, so I don't think we have an argument. I would just say that, that the, the legislation here presented in chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, some of it comes off as poetry. Some of it does come off with parallelism. For example, you know, uh, the first verse in the the first set of Ish Elohechem. You know, so it's translated, You shall each revere his mother and father and keep my Sabbaths. But the, the English that, that English translate doesn't capture a certain rhythm. There's a certain rhythm in this, and, and I I would say that that the rhythm in the Hebrew enables you to remember that. It remembers enables you to to sing these verses and and the verses are are in a way to live with you they're they're to shape you and that's the, that's the effect of text and that's the effect of of the poetry and I, 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 the homily on this would be you know how do you, how, you know, hol, uh, holiness is uh, holy uh, what you do so the first uh, commandments relating to holiness are the commandments relating to the the central relationships in your lives namely you and your parents or you and your family that is the crucible within which your your identity and your whole sense of being is formed that's ish imova aviv tirao revering your parents and then it's the sense of time et shabtotai tishmoro and so your consciousness of who you are as uh, as as a being within a family and who you are within the scope of time, I mean, these are those are not prose concepts, those are very poetic concepts, at least in the way that I'm understanding. And of course, they have very halachic, there's a very halachic consequence to this, there's a very halachic predicate to this, which is, uh, you know, if your parents tell you to violate Shabbat, you're not supposed to listen to them. I think for Baalei Tshuva, this is, this is like the ultimate proof text, right? You can't tell me what to do because you are also obligated in keeping the mitzvot. So therefore, it's it's a very um, subversive text in some ways for for a modern person. I don't know if you want to react to, to that. Yeah. First of all, we're, we're repeating the these ten commandments, by the way, which are also poetic. I, I also agree with you that uh, that there's a, a kind of an incantatory quality to. Many of these things, especially with the Ani Adunai, Ani Adunai, Ani Adunai, uh, you know, I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord. There is a kind of a a, a, a chant that's going on here. Um, I want to say one thing about the translation of holiness, which I think is, is a great question to explore. Um, we usually say that that Kadosh means, you know, separate or, or in some way. Um, and the beginning, you know, uh, as, as, um, as Rashi will say in his commentary, and, and the Parsha ends with all the sexual restrictions, you know, it, it is a statement about um, being set apart, and somehow, you know, Israel is is called upon to set itself apart. But that doesn't really capture for me 
the deepest meaning of what is, you know, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzivaot, Melocho Ha'aretz Kivodo, is the, the verse from Isaiah chapter 6, which is, of course, very central in the liturgy, is itself perhaps a little bit of um, a deep religious, like, paradox, something like that. Kadosh, 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 separate, separate, separate is the Lord. The whole world is filled with the Lord. Melocho Ha'aretz Kivodo. Separate, separate, separate. And yet, like, God is totally special. God is totally unlike you know, ordinary things, and yet the whole world is filled with that sense of specialness. I like to think of Kadosh as, as notably, you know, denoting something inestimably special and, pre- and precious. And, and where this comes up for me in a kind of a religious feeling, a religious emotion, uh, you know, uh, conversation is, is the way we distinguish everything is Kodesh and Chol, Kodesh and Chol, Kodesh and This day is special, the other days aren't special. This place is special. The other places aren't special. You know, this item is special and, and ordinary things aren't special. And I think that in, in religion, you know, we have we have that sense that the, there are some rigid distinctions and some boundaries. And and Saturday is not Tuesday. And I think that's, you know, that's part of how we practice this religion. But I also think that that what we really want is both Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh and Melochol Haaretz. We really want both that is special and that it fills the world. And so I, I'm, I really resonate with those teachings, like from from Kabbalah or from Rav Kook or something like that, that says, you know, thing that, that there's there's not really a rigid distinction between sect, you know, kodesh and chol, profane and special, but that we have special things that we hope spread forth, and and the world starts Jerusalem is holy, but but one day you know the world will spread forth and it will all become holy, and it's not just Shabbos is holy, but the whole time is holy, and and so to me there's a polarity going on here between designating certain things as special, but not resting easy with that, wanting to spread more and more and more of that sense of presence and specialness and, and kiddushah, uh, more than just those spe- those specific things which we now today in this world designate as, as kadosh. I think, I think, you know, we have a problem with this because we live in such a secular age, we really don't understand what the sacred is. And, and it's so interesting that, that all of us, I think, are... are keyed into analogy in terms of trying to understand it. And, and I guess it's, it's holy would be the thing to which you would respond when it is violated, right? So you think about all the things that are most important and most, you know, set apart for you. And when they are violated, you have a, you have a, 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 a visceral sense of reaction to that, of defilement or of, of, of the sense of deep, Sacra, you know, desacralizing something. We, we, we simply are lacking, um, you know, a, a, a real sensitivity to the holy. And, and the other thing I think about is, you know, after reading so many chapters, Parshiot, about the, the sanctuary, which is the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodeshim. So it's, it's very much placed in our minds in, in, a, in a kind of graphical way or, you know, in a, on a plane that, that, here is the sanctuary. It has the various zones. I always talk about this, and we always like to talk about, you know, there's this zone of holiness, and there is a zone of holiness which is within the holiness. There's that beautiful, um, we have a reading from the new Machsor uh, on, on Yom Kippur right before the Avoda. I don't know if you're familiar with one where it says, you know, 
the on the holiest day of the holiest you know uh, of the holiest season the holiest person of the of the people goes into the holiest place of the holiest city etc and there's a like the 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 lining up of all of these different kinds of holiness holiness in person holiness in space and holiness in time all of which are are very abstract ideas for us but but we 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 understand it when we live it and and we understand it when it's violated and of course the most holy thing is god not a thing and the closest is life that is to say a human being so that when a human being is either violated or murdered we we feel a sense of of the tremendous um desecration of of god the, the ultimate desecration of god's name is the murder of a human being i guess i don't know if you have a reaction to that yeah i like that a couple of things um as you know i, I often speak in two so I, I think i have two things to say here and one is to echo something that jeremy said the the word that he used was polarity the other p word that's useful here is paradox and there's a great conundrum at the heart of religion because the way Jeremy described it, God is holy other. And this points, just like there's a pointing back to the Ten Commandments in Shemot, there's also a pointing forward to the Shema, which is our great declaration of faith, where essentially we say that God is unique. And yet our command is to relate to this holy other God in some meaningful way as a human being. And the question, of course, is how can we do that? And here in this Parsha, the Torah gives us, you know, poetic and prosaic ways in which we we might do that. The other thing I think is important to keep in mind is that holiness in our world has to be a smaller subset of the whole. We can only have a Shabbat of one day a week out of seven. We have fewer holidays than we have non-holidays. We have fewer Kohanim than we do the rest of the Israelite people who be, become the Jews. Because holiness is a part, both a part, a segment, but also separate. And the separateness has to be going towards uniqueness, going towards that more and more restrictive access, I guess, is one way to look at it. And here the model of the Mishkan is instructive because we have the courtyard, which is the largest part of the Mishkan, and then we have the holy part. And then the Holy of Holies is even smaller, and the ark that's in the center of the Holy of Holies is the smallest of all. It's only a box, a cubic box of a few feet by a few feet. And we have these zones of holiness to remind us that we are drawn in, but as Jeremy also suggested, we also want the world to be full of God and full of God's glory, so we want to push out as well. Yeah, except, I mean, so you're missing the one thing, which is, you know, I you be holy. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the people is holy. You, you know, you mentioned it, but Martha Kiddoshim to you that the people is to be a vessel of holiness. And so among all the things that are holy, including the Kohanim, including Shabbat, is Am Yisrael is, as, as a, has a role as a vessel. In a way, I would say that the, the great metaphor for Am Yisrael is the Mishkan, that the Mishkan in its holy of holies is the vessel of God's name. And so, Bnei Israel is, in some way, the vessel of God's name into the world. That's that that I present to you the biblical view of the world, which is that God selects this people in which with which to have a covenant 
to bring the name of God into the world as a vessel of holiness. So in that sense, though, we are holy. The Israelite people are holy in distinction to the other nations of the world. Exactly. So we're still a subset. But the Israelite, how does the Israelite see him or herself as, as holy? Because if you live in a community of only holy people, all those distinctions blur. And I think, you know, here we might use the chapter 20, which is an echo of chapter 18, the laws of uh, sexual restraint, um, that, you know, one of the things is we have to keep in mind that we have to be apart, that the Torah is very careful about preserving our uniqueness. And one way to preserve our uniqueness is to take care that we respect the uniqueness of the other. Well, what about what about the holiness code, chapter nineteen, and all of the ways that we live, uh, or that we are to aspire to live? And, I, and maybe it's an aspirational document in terms of, you know, this is the way you are to, to live. Don't don't uh, don't be a talebearer in your in your community. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't don't lie. Um, do not uh, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, do not insult the death. Do not place a stumbling block before the blind. Fear the Lord. Do not render an unfair decision, etc., etc. And then, of course, culminating in love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, is Leviticus 19 verses 3 on, you know, the answer? How are you to be holy? Well, if you do these things and you live an ethical life in aspiration and in legislation, that's how a people becomes a holy people. That's that's big. I mean, um, uh I think that, you know, there's a the great Heschel expression, uh, you know, that he, in the in last interview before his death, they, they said, above all else, remember to build your life as though it were a work of art. I just find that so incredibly, you know, moving. Um, and these mitzvot, while, you know, they can be identified as, as behavioral, here's how you should behave. But if you really enter this, if you really enter the not taking advantage of the vulnerable as exemplified in uh, not, not the stumbling block in front of the binder curse in the depth, if you really, if you, um, if you, you know, if you rise before the elders, if you, if you, you know, pay your, your debts, and if you, you learn to get rid of your hatred, and you learn to love, then yes, you are creating your life. Not just you do them, but you live them, you enter them, you make them part of yourself in the full dignity of the you know the moral behavior. It's not just that you do the right thing. It's that you do the right thing for the right reasons because that's who you are. You do it with, with with the right sense of, of virtue and and you have the right kavana, then yes, you are transformed and you become uh, a sainted person and you become kadosh and vessel. Parsha holds out the prospect that you know it's not just like you'll you'll do no harm and you won't violate any rules and you won't be sent to jail or something like that. No, no, no. You will craft yourself into the kind of person that you that you really want to be. Yeah. So we, we need to come back to the beginning of the Parsha, which is also that the holiness that we're talking about has to be constructed and in a community. It's not where an individual could go off by him or herself and become holy. 
And it's useful to remember one of Martin Buber's essays um, in which he took great issue with a great Danish philosopher, Kierkegaard, who renounced the human love of his life for his love of Jesus and became, in this, what I think we might describe as a hermit, removed himself from a certain kind of social situation in order to pursue his religious dream. And Buber said that was completely wrong because the path to God does not take us out of the world. It takes us through the world. And here again, you know, the very beginning of chapter 19 is a call to the community because the holiness defined here must take place in a community. It cannot be achieved by an individual alone. That essay by Kierkegaard is called The Single One. Right. To become the single one. And Buber says, no, no, this is the answer to the single one. You can't, you can't do that. There's like a kind of um a, a kind of like misanth- misanthropy, um, like a kind of hatred of the world to say, you know, I'm only gonna reach my spiritual, my spiritual potential if I reject all of you rotten people. Well, like, isn't, that's, it interesting that's that first, isn't it interesting that the first commandment of the holiness code is is to revere your parents. And and I mean, that's that's a slam dunk, which is to say that that your holy life is 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 shaped by this relationship. End of story. And you need to live in that relationship and all and all of the messiness that that can, relationship can have at some point. Well, and it climaxes. I mean, first of all, and you and you correctly pointed out that there's a a dialectic of that because yeah. You have to revere your parents and follow your own, you know, spiritual paths as well. But it it culminates in love your neighbor as yourself. You have to learn to love other people and share this community with them. And, you know, we have this religion, um, you know, we've talked about this in the past in other contexts. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are basically portrayed as shepherds who are off on their own. They don't live in cities. And yet the the basic Israelite you know, uh, history in 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 land of Israel is building cities. They're in Shamron and they're in Jerusalem and they're in Hebron and they're in Bethlehem and those are those are like living together. And so the 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 tension between you know this kind of imagined you know go off and be a Bedouin or live in the city um, it produces its own kind of narrative tension in some of the some of the biblical stories. But right here, Kedoshim Tehiu is is not for Bedouins, you know, it's not for people who are going to go off in the desert with their sheep, it's for people who are going to share Jerusalem together, or or share, share, you know, Shomron together, or something like that, and uh, I find that just much more, much more appealing. All right, so, 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 because you mentioned the geography, and because we were, we're located on the calendar, with, with Yom Atzmut now, and, and for many of the people that will be watching this uh, on Friday, Yom Atzmut will be, will be over, but we're we're we we'll release this uh, on Yom Atzmaut. So we're, we are celebrating Yom Atzmaut, seventy four years of Israel's independence, and and by any stretch of the imagination, that's a remarkable achievement and, and amazing. And, and of course, you know, we here who are uh, geographically removed, uh, while yet maintaining Israel so deep in our hearts, the 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 way that we celebrate and the way that we tell the narrative and, and and share the celebration i think is is complicated it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a challenge for us um because because you know we're, we're not pulsating so i want to i want to you know suggest the the conversation in terms of how israel one of the peak moments i'll put it out like this one of the peak moments in in the celebration is the torch lighting ceremony the torch lighting ceremony which uh, takes place at har herzl they have 12 torches 
where 12 individuals are honored um, by, by in the national uh, commemoration. I just have uh, it here. Uh, uh, I'll read off a couple of them. So we have Kalman Samuels, a Canadian expat who founded Shalva, an organization which helps people with disabilities. Yael Scherer, a leading activist for victims of sexual violence. Simcha Gaton, who immigrated from Ethiopia and leads the Center for Legacy of Ethiopian Jewry. Angel Alon, a Nativot resident who was a foster parent to 217 at-risk children for over 30 years. Asa El Shabo lost his mother and three siblings in the 2000 terror attack, but also lost part of his right leg and went on to become, to become a wheelchair basketball athlete. Munir Mahdi, who heads a pre-army academy in Dalyat Al-Karmel for Druze and, and Jewish youth. My favorite, Rita. Rita Yehun Farouz, the Tehran-born Israeli pop singer better known as Rita. And on and on, there are a couple of others. And, and so here, you know, they've chosen these, these extraordinary human beings to light these torches. They represent, metaphorically, um, the tribes, you know, different, different tribes, including this year, Druze. Last year, there was an Arab-Israeli. Last year, there was, you know, the year before, a Muslim-Israeli, Christian-Israeli, etc. Uh, and, and this is an extraordinary tapestry of the Israeli um, uh, cultural and uh, landscape and population. And, I, you know, we don't have examples to relate that in the American context. I, I would say, you know, when, when America honors exceptional citizens, that honoring is not done in, conc- in concert with the national story. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can react to that, that maybe there's something to learn here or if there's a difference and the, you know, by comparing and contrasting the way we honor our citizens and the way we tell our story. I don't know, Barry, you want to... So I, it's important to remember that the United States, you know, in its mythic retelling of its own history, dates itself to 1776, which is going on close to 250 years. And, you know, as we mentioned when we were talking before we recorded, they did not give out awards in 1776 to the great Americans of the time. Um and by the time Israel emerges, 175 years or so later, Israel can learn from the national experiences of other nations how to do things. The other thing to keep in mind is that Israel, even today, is a very small state. The United States has over 300 million people, Israel, say, eight or nine. Um, and Israel retains a small country atmosphere about it. So it's no longer quite true and probably never was that you know everyone or know someone who knows the people that you don't know in Israel, but that's certainly more true than in the United States. Here in our country, the big cities are known for their anonymity. That's not really the case in Israel. And so they could construct a national narrative that is very localized, um, but also national. Well, should we? It, in, in addition, you know, it's it's of course not. Um, there's sub ethnicities. You, you mentioned Druze and and Palestinian Israeli citizens, um, Christians, Muslims. There's Circassians and Armenians and other kinds of, you know, small minorities. But the substantial majority of people in the state of Israel are are Israeli Jews. And there's sub ethnicities. You know, the Syrians and and the Moroccans, they have their own their own traditions and, and the Pol, Polish and German or whatever. But 
there is a really high degree of investment in the story of kibbutz galuyot, the ingathering of the exiles, of, of you know the sweep of Jewish tradition, the sense of exile and return for so many people, and especially you know in the way we were talking about last week, uh, the Shoah and the aftermath, the driving the the people from the Muslim world having been driven out of those countries, escaped those countries with the skin of their teeth. Um, in the United States, we we don't have a, a nearly as much center of gravity in a story about the fact that like some pilgrims and you know whatever and the and the the patriots in Massachusetts in 1776 that's just not something that grips the american population and organizes american life to our detriment right like I, we we all know that right now in 2022 americans don't feel connected to each other mostly mistrust mistrust each other red state blue state you know, Republican, Democrat, whatever, we, we've got much, 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 much too much fragmentation. Israel, we got a lot of fragmentation too, but there's a big, 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 big investment in this is Am Yisrael, we're going through this together and, and we've got a shared past and shared future. Right, because it's, it's, it's really life and death and that we need each other. And, and I think, yes, the, 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 the issue of scale, I think is, is remarkable. And, and that's probably where the, the discussion probably starts and ends. However, I want to say, you know, even even in our little micro communities. So, you know, it's interesting. We we, we do our, our um, honoring, um, you know, we have a gala every year. So we, we, we have people that we honor. And and I make a point every every year when we do this is that that, you know, we're, we're the, the people that we honor or the things that we honor are, are part of a story that that is to say that those people honored help us tell a congregational story. So even on the most most you know the micro community level of, of a synagogue. Let's say that that numbers we are numbering. You know about a you know eight hundred nine hundred souls. You know um, we have a story that we're telling. And and if you just expand that to you know what's the community story and who the community selects to honor and who the state honors and who the the country honors the, that that tells a story. And and it it is deliberate when when. You know, exceptional individuals are chosen for presidential medal of freedom, or or medal, national medal of honor, or or what you know the Mark Twain Award, or or all these awards. But they're fragmented over over time, over the calendar, and over space, and they're and they're not fused to the national narrative. And I would also you know I can argue the Canadian story as well, which is that Canada also has its national honors. Of of the Governor General's awards and the Order of Canada, and these are not connected to a national narrative. They do present exceptional people, really wonderful, extraordinary people, but but you know, do we tell our story through through this? And the answer is probably not. And I think that that countries can learn from Israel in that way. That that's what I would put out. Yeah. So what I would suggest is that there are times when we tell our story, but. When we think about how national holidays are celebrated in the United States, there's a picnic, a baseball game. You know, they're traditionally back in the day, there were double headers. They used to play two games in one day, which happened on the, these holidays. And there would be sales. So Israel, by taking things of national import and putting them in the day, gave more substance to the celebration aspect of the day. Um, 
you know, in the United States, we went in a different direction. It's very hard to figure out how we should celebrate some of these days. My personal favorite is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It yeah. seems that when we think about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy, having a day off from school is probably not the best way to commemorate his life. Um, Wahavdio, it would seem to be a day for intensive education rather than no education, but our arc in the United States is to associate holidays with days off rather than days of substance. Think about how we observe the July 4th. You know, there are radio stations that, where they read the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, excuse me, which is a lovely idea. But, you know, for most of us, it's just a day off. Israel made a conscious effort to add these things. But I remember when I was on Kibbutz many years ago, you know, the, how did they commemorate Yom Ha'atzmaut? They had a picnic. Right. I went to okay. Jerusalem. So, so I mean, all of these things are really, really important in terms of, of how we convey an era. I thought, you know, maybe we should do a Seder on Thanksgiving and maybe there should be some kind of other kind of, you know, uh, uh, communal celebration or, or a public declaration on on July the 4th, a declaration of a reading, at least of the preamble, at least of the, you know, something, some canonical text, you know, and I think there's a hunger for this. And, and, and I, what, so maybe we, we do have to end here, but it's that, that, you know, watching this and dipping into the ceremonies, we see that, that there is within Israel and the Jewish people writ large, this this hunger for these kinds of experiences and a validation and these events and these ceremonies validate the central purpose of Israel as complicated as as that continues to be to be a free people in our land um, and tells a story in so many rich uh, um, and diverse ways um, and 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 it makes for such a valuable entry point to to the experience. Um, and it certainly is what to celebrate on, on this uh, great milestone of Jewish history. And with that, our time has come to a close. Look how we look out, look, look at the arc of our narrative. <laughs> we started with Kedoshim being a holy people, and we are aspiring to be a holy part of your life. We thank you for watching us, for listening to us, and for being so devoted to us. We appreciate your comments on the YouTube channels or on the Facebook pages, wherever you want to comment to us. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. Wishing everyone a Chag Sameach, Chagat over the over these days. And of course, Shabbat Shalom, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Parshat Shabbat Shalom.